Hello and welcome to the Be Still My Soul podcast. This is Ray Brandon, pastor of Northbridge Church, bringing daily encouragement to the church through the Gospel Project. And we are finishing up our daily study. We are in Unit 17 of the Gospel Project, Session 4 and Day 5, reading the final two chapters in the book of Zechariah, an amazing, amazing book. It's a game changer in the Old Testament as far as new information about Messiah. And so in Zechariah chapter 14, I want to look at just a couple of things here. Um, here we see something that is uh, amazing in chapters 13 and 14, but um, looking at the fact that we see in chapter 13, opening it up with salvation. In fact, it's a continuation of chapter 12 that God is going to save, and he's going to save in that God's people surrender. They surrender to him, and there's this amazing thing that happens. Um, there's been the imagery of the shepherd and the fact that the shepherd is struck, the sheep are scattered. It, it's this, um, it's, it's like the 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 last card in in poker as it's turned and you're wondering what your hand will reveal it is uh, a game changer chapters 13 and 14 here in um this this chapter it's something that you didn't see happening um that now is is unfolding and some of the things that we we maybe didn't see happening was all of the suffering that, that is happening in chapter 14. Um, but there's also a name change. So God's been coming as the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. And now we see this name, Emmanuel, God with us in chapter 14. How there is all kinds of struggle, but yet at the end, it says there's going to be a unique day known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. And on that day, living waters shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, this ever-flowing, always-running water. How important that was in the ancient Near East to have this water source. There will be light, there will be water, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one his name one. So there's some amazing things that, that happen here. And we see absolutely utter defeat. Utter defeat in, in verse 12 of the enemies. And it's by a plague um, in which that God defeats them. On, on this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are still standing on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouth. Not a pretty picture. Um, and it says, On that day a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them so that they will seize one another, and the hand of one will be raised against the hand of the other. Um, kind of, it's it's really an amazing thing when you you think about coronavirus and you read your Bible and you see that in the last day um, God is going to strike with a plague and as a result there's a panic, 
um, that should just tell us something, um, not that we're necessarily dealing with this particular prophecy today. I don't mean to imply any of that, but it is really interesting that plague and panic go hand in hand, and they are part of the result of sin and even God's judgment um, because of wickedness. And I'm not making any implications about coronavirus and the judgment of God on the world, although we do see plagues used by God in judgment. And so we need to think in those ways that God's getting our attention and even the panic, because I have seen it. I've seen it within Christianity, within local churches, even our own church, that those that were that were friends, they've allowed their opinions um, of current events and politics and pandemics to raise their hand against the other and, and divide, so much so that friendships have been separated. Hopefully they will be repaired, but some of them will be irreparable just because of sin. And so we see this at the last day. Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected gold and silver and garments in great abundance. And a plague like this plague shall fall on their horses, mules, camels, donkeys, whatever beasts may be in the camp, that everyone who survives of, of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. And if any families on the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. It's interesting now. So the imagery turns from warfare to worship and to households. And, and we're actually studying um, households in First Timothy, the household of God, the household of faith. But here it says those that don't worship, they will not flourish. There will not be rain on them. Verse 18, and the family of Egypt that does not go up to present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths. This shall be a punishment to Egypt and the punishment to the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths. It's interesting how this moves from, from warfare to worship and worship in families. Because the last part, here's where this book closes, and there's more, there's more to study, and I hope you do. I hope you will study these um, passages in more depth. Um, the Be Still My Soul podcast is simply to point out a few things in your daily study to orient you a little bit to the text. But here it ends, this amazing passage ends, on this, it ends the, on the fact that homes are made holy in worship. Homes are made holy in worship. The family unit is purified by the worship of God. So often we think about that as two separate things. Um, and, and so often people say, you know what, I need my family time. I'm, I'm, you know, on Sunday, I'm, I'm kind of too busy. I'm, I'm too busy for the worship of God. And we, we learned even in the last study that worship, true worship results in obedience. Well, here in these last two verses, what we see is we see the homes and the vessels of the homes purified, even as the vessels of the, the, the temple itself. And so our homes become a place of holiness and holy worship to God. It's an amazing thing. It has implications um, for family ministry within the church. 
in that worship in the church is meant to purify worship in the home for the glory and exaltation of Jesus Christ. Look at these two verses in Zechariah, the last chapter in Zechariah, verse 20. And there shall be on that day, there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judea shall be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil the meat of the sacrifice in them, and there shall no longer be a traitor in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. So the homes in all Jerusalem and in Judah are made holy, and all who come, there's not a single traitor, may sacrifice to the Lord God. Uh, Think about your worship and think about your home. Northbridge, and to those that may be listening, may your worship in the house of God, God who is with us, the shepherd who is struck, and yet the shepherd who restores worship of the Most High through his shed blood on the cross and his accepted sacrifice of perfection, Jesus Christ. He is the conquering king. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the holy and Most High God in whom we worship. May we worship with obedience so that both our church, the household of faith, and the household that we call family might be purified and holy before God.